you know, I have a personal interest to see the businesses in our outdoor community thrive and prosper. That is why I want to introduce you to the Charles Jordan Group, the boutique, Atlanta-based, award-winning consulting firm that is raising sales for different industries around the world. They do this by delivering strong growth strategies and creative marketing platforms. I know the founder personally, and he's a passionate and obsessed bird hunter. And that is why one of the industries they serve so well is our outdoor industry. What they have done for hunting resorts, gun manufacturers, outdoor retailers, and other businesses is simply remarkable. So visit them at www.charlesjordangroup.com. The Minority Outdoor Alliance is celebrating bringing the unlikely to the outdoors through our Minority Outdoor Alliance Festival presented by Yukonuba on Saturday, October 16th at Orvis Purcell Farms. The Minority Outdoor Alliance believes that unless we bring in more participants from new and unexplored markets, our sporting traditions, outdoor businesses, wildlife and habitat will continue to decrease. So it is our driving vision at the Minority Outdoor Alliance that by 2036, outdoor sporting life is enjoyed by twice as many participants as it is today. So check us out at MinorityOutdoorAlliance.org and we would love to see you at the festival celebrating diversity in the outdoors. General admission tickets are $10 and dinner and awards ceremony tickets are $20. But let's celebrate bringing the unlikely to the outdoors for both conservation and diversity. Securing your family's future is easy when you work with the Edie Smith Wealth Management. They provide you peace of mind by providing exceptional services for reasonable prices. Both attorneys Edie and attorney Smith provide services such as estate planning, tax return preparation, tax planning, asset protection, and tax controversy, all for the security of your family's legacy. So book your free consultation today at www.edie.com. That's E-A-D-Y Smith The Gundog Notebook Podcast is presented to you by Onyx Hunt, crafted to be the number one digital mapping resource for hunters, anglers, and landowners. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use my promo code GDN20 for 20% off at checkout. Speaking of Onyx Hunt and Land Limited, we are also at the final stages of getting this Dogman film out to you. It's got everybody y'all know and love, Neil, Curtis, and of course me, Lil Curtis, Willie Sams, a couple faces y'all ain't never seen before. But check it out pretty soon. But in the meantime, like I said, go to Onyx Hunt, and if you haven't subscribed, go subscribe today using my promo code GDN20. 
For the last 50 years, we've been swayed by nothing but science. The premium performance lineup of Eukanuba Sporting Dog harnesses the power of evidence-based nutritional science to empower healthy, athletic dogs to perform at their best. Go beyond protein and fat with a lineup of performance diets formulated to fuel different activity levels, support post-exercise recovery, and optimize nutrient delivery. Find your dog's fuel at yukanubasportingdog.com. A true work of art does not simply appear out of thin air. It begins as an idea in the mind of an artist who then gives it physical shape and form using his innate skill and imagination. And if in the end the product is to be genuine, the process of creation needs to remain uninterrupted from start to finish. This principle has been the driving force in the making of AYA guns since 1915. An AYA gun embodies the very best knowledge and skill of generations of leading gunsmiths, and it is for this reason it is considered throughout the world to be one of the finest examples of the combination of science and art, of reliability and elegance, which only the finest gun makers can produce. So find your next heirloom piece at www.ayafineguns.com. I also want to thank the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, TRCP, and Pheasants and Quail Forever for supporting the podcast as partners and coming in to work with us at the Gundog Notebook and Minority Outdoor Alliance. So check out some of the things that we got planned on in the future. Keep your eyes peeled for that. And I'll keep letting y'all know how we continue to not only bring the outdoors, bring the unlikely to the outdoors, but also to do it in the name of conservation and diversity. Also, as a new ambassador, I want to let you guys know that I will be partnering with Spoke Hollow Outfitters very, very soon for a number of new partnerships, initiatives, uh, guide experiences, and a whole lot more from West Texas to Atlanta. So stay tuned for some of the things that we've got coming in the future. And thanks again to Spoke Hollow Outfitters for just doing everything for, again, diversity, the outdoors, bringing new experiences and new minds new mentalities and of course my dogs in West Texas and in the outdoors. It is my pleasure on the Gun Dog Notebook podcast to bring to you our newest guest, Ryan Bussey, hunter and author of the book Gunfight. Ryan Bussey's Gunfight book is about his battle against the industry that radicalized America. It's Ryan's personal memoir and an inside look from a high-level perspective from a former executive in the firearms industry. It's personal to me because my wife and I have been discussing ways to change the prevailing narrative of fear that permeates black and brown communities and the perceptions of the black community that have been fostered through the firearms industry. So this book was quite personal to me and honestly, quite visceral. Ryan reached out to me for my endorsement as he published the book. 
And it was a no-brainer for me to take a look at this original manuscript, and, and, and I flew through it, really. I'm hoping this book is another answer to the prevailing question of what does all this diversity work have to do with the outdoors? What does it have to do with hunting, wing shooting, so on and so forth? So I am thrilled to have Ryan Bussey on this podcast, on the Gundog Notebook podcast, to talk about his book and dive into deeper insights on the topic. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm bringing to you Ryan Bussey, author of Gunfight. It, at the end of the day, we both dog men, right? And you know what that means to have the tough conversations. You know what that means to be introspective. You know what I'm saying? You know what that means to be empathetic. And you also know what that means to be a little selfish. Right. Yeah. I think where we see eye to eye and where so many people should see eye to eye in, in this particular sphere. Right. We're talking about bird dogs and all of that stuff. But and, and, and we're going to branch out. But for the audience that probably never would have expected this podcast with you and I to happen, because you do realize that this ain't expected. Right. Yeah. Where we level is at the end of the day, you just sent me a picture that I owe you a visit for out in Montana with your Britney's chasing a beautiful sky in the hilltops on a new mountain with a brand with 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 a beautiful gun. That's where we level, right? And that's where I wish so many people would level when it comes to these tough conversations. And that's been a message that I've been trying to communicate. For a couple of years now. Well, go there, but I will tell you, well, what I'm going to tell you when you ask the question is if you put too much faith in that, there's some nefarious forces. They're going to be able to twist that to make, to make people do things that they shouldn't ought to do. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of soulful power in that. Mm -hmm. And where there's soulful power, there are places that people can be twisted. So, Just like religion, right? Yeah. So, and, and you say soulful power. Like I, and I'm going to just open with this. We just do cold opening. But 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 at the end of the day, I had 50 million different questions for you because you and I are both friends. I owe you a hunt. And at the end of the day, both of us have perspectives that we're trying to change the 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 community with and the industry with that come from polar opposite sides of the firearms industry, right? Polar, polar polar opposite experiences. So at this juncture, we have Ryan Bussey on the Gundog Notebook podcast. And Ryan, you were, first of all, I owe you a thank you because you were so gracious <laughs> to have me endorse your book. And I'm I'm on the hard copy. Like, what's the mess? When I ask, you got to sign the book. What's the message that you're going to sign for me? in that book. I'm going to ask you a random question off the top. Um, so I'm happy to be here. Um, <laughs> with you, Darrell. And um, so I don't really know what I'm going to sign in that book, but I'm going to say, um, and for those, for those people listening, um, the book is printed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's been touted as one of the top 10 books of the fall of 2021. And we I hope it's going to, I, I hope it's going to be a big deal. Um, and when, and I made a social media post, 
I had two sitting U.S. senators and mm-hmm. um, who were very gracious to endorse this book. Mm-hmm. I had former White House communications directors uh, endorse the book. Um, I had longtime professors. I had like the list goes on. There's there's a lot of book endorsements. But I want to say you pick little um, old me to be on it. Well, I, I just want to say I'm none of them make me any more proud than having Darrell Smith read this book <laughs> and endorse the book. And, um, and so when, when the book hits the newsstands as it will on October 19th, um, that I could have had, I mean, there were, we had, there's only so much space, right? I can't have, I can't have all these people who have said nice things about the book on there. I had to not. And so Darrell, I just want you to know you're, you're more important than some U S senators and, um, what? And, and other, uh, other folks, uh, I, I, your, your, your perspective, your endorsement, your reading and feedback to me about my experience and my observations and my writing was honestly as touching to me and as important to me as any, as anything I've received through this process. And it took me two and a half years to go through it. So I just want Dude, to say thank you. Well, no, Brett, let me, let me, let me, let me be real with you. Okay. And thank you. First of all, let me be real with you though. I gave you that feedback because frankly, I didn't, where do I go? Like somebody like you with all the experience that you've had, right? Like you've been in this thing for a while, right? And you say, Hey, you, you hit me up out of the blue, like from jump when I, when I said I wanted to start Minority Outdoor Alliance with my wife, right? And 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 AJ referred me to you. And you and I chit-chatted back and forth, back and forth, every so often, right? And and then it you were like, hey, I got this book, Gunfight. I want you to read it and tell me what you think. Like, I know your background, dude. And so part of me was like, well, why me? You know what I'm saying? Like, dude, you've been literally to the 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 tip top of the firearms industry you know for uh kimber the gun manufacturer that i mean who doesn't want a kimber you see what i'm saying and, um, i and, do and i appreciate that yeah well and and, and that's another question i want to get to but that's down the road i got i got a bunch of them for you but i look at this and i look at the presence that you've had i, I look at the impact that you, and I look at the impact that this book is going to have on the industry, frankly. And I look at how many, how many other African-American uh, men and women are out there that, that I just frankly feel humbled to, for you to ask me. Cause I'm like, dang, like, you know, what did I do? But it's not well, what about me doing is, is what we it, it's, it's you and I just, we align. Yeah. The truth is you're a bird dog guy. So I knew I could trust you. Yeah, <laughs> and, 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 and that's where we go back to being a dog, man. Like, and that's where uh, the simplest, purest, most unadulterated, no bullshit things yep. are what tie good people together. Yep. And I know you love your dogs. I know you get the same kind of joy out of seeing them lock on a staunch point yep. and hold and drop that bird to hand the same sort of joy that I get. And honestly, what else do I need to know about you? Really? What else do I need to know about you? Like that's as, that's as pure and as honest as it gets. And anybody that tells me that great dog work, loving your dogs, 
being dedicated to that kind of pure pursuit isn't as important to the human experience as anything on the planet. I, 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 I just say bullshit to that. Yeah. And so, so, so you and I connect on the most elemental levels, right? Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this before we get into the deeper details, let's go on a tangent for a second. Ride with me. So do you think that for the sake of the dog, for the sake of exactly what you just said, might people on one extreme end or the other have leveled with each other? And I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to sneak peek something for you. I got a hell of a film coming from Onyx. I'm going to just tell you straight up. And it's about this exact um, idea, right? This thing that I've been trying to say is that bird dogs have brought us together and you and I are both on this conversation and there are so many listeners out there that are going to listen to this conversation. I hope at the end of the day, folks realize that you and I are both leveling with about larger issues that are bigger than you or I or any kind of thing we may agree or disagree on. And we can always default to bird dogs when we need to take a breath. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's important to me when we have in these conversations. Because it does get heated, but at the end of the day, it, it, I, I think that, like, some some someone that I don't agree with, I think at the end of the day, we could probably walk through the woods at the same time and see the, and, and agree on the fact that bird dogs will bring us together despite what political eyes we might be on. I hope so. I um and it, it, maybe that is that too cliche to ask for that though. There was a time when our country actually was united by basic simplicities and you know sort of core commonalities like that, mm-hmm. and and frankly, passions, almost religious esque passions in and around the things in my book, and in and around. Um, issues of race and hate and division and conspiracy theory have ripped us apart from those sort of basic connectors. Um, and I got to tell you, dude, it just, it just flat pisses me off. Yeah. It just pisses me off. Um, and it, it, those forces that have torn us apart, that have taken things that never really united us, but they have taken those things like the issue of, of guns, which and guns and gun politics that I write about in my book and race and hatred, they have taken those things and magnified them and put them on such unbelievable steroids that we can no longer have conversations with people who we slightly disagree with down on elemental levels about what a good bird dog is. Well, there's or, a lot, there's a loss of nuance. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a sad, it's a sad thing. And I think it's incumbent on, people like you and me, Darrell, to, um, to point that out and to, and to say, and to ask, I use air quotes here, right? I'm putting my fingers up in the air, yeah. but to ask our people, both of, you know, all of our people to take a deep goddamn breath and get back to these things that unite us. Like, that's what I'm asking for. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that's, it's interesting you say that cause that was actually my next question before we get into a major dialogue. What, what, what are you, what are you, what's, what's the message? Because you took a beating, dude, when the book, the, uh, before the book came out. So what's the, yeah. what's the overarching message? Because you know, I'm going to support you, you my buddy. But what, well, what do you, was that what you were trying to communicate? What I'm trying to communicate, first off, um, when I sat down to write this book, 
I wasn't sure that I had a message. I, I, I knew I had lived an interesting life. And for those of you who don't know, I spent 25 years, 28 years actually in the firearms industry, um, 25 of it with a single company. I helped build a company up from really dirt to um, one of the most influential companies in the firearms industry. And I operated at the highest levels, literally the highest levels of the firearms industry. Um, and, you know, know you many to- of the big national power brokers, you know, on a first name basis and they know me. You want to um, know what, can I interrupt you real quick? Yeah, go ahead. So you were at that level at Kimber when I came in um, to, you know, firearms introduction and I picked up my first, that very fancy Kimber magazine. Yeah. You were, you were there. And it's so yep. interesting that that was my aspirational goal as a as, as a black man because I wanted to to have honestly like that's the fancy guns that I saw you know very nice white hunters having you know it, like it it just it was like a a thing of to to aspire to you know well I I appreciate you saying that I my goal always at Kimber was to, was to play a part in building and selling firearms that I wanted to own, that my friends wanted to own, that people I respected wanted to own. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, there are lots of stories in the book about pressures to build other sorts of guns and how the industry changed over time, which it did, um, immensely and most of it not in positive ways, right. but, um, the fact that um, even as you know as late as a few years ago when you were picking up those fancy uh, Kimber magazines that it was still something you could be proud of and and mm-hmm. a lot of people you know to foreshadow a little bit what's in the book I spent 25 years in there and I did and the in the subtitle of the book is my battle against the industry that radicalized America and I do believe it radicalized America but a lot of people say well you know Ryan you stayed in it what the hell are you doing you know, how come you're criticizing? Like you were in there. Yes, I was. I was troubled. I'm not perfect. I did things. I allowed things. I forgave things. I wished I wouldn't. Um, but all the while I was part of a company, I believed I was part of a company that was building something that was different and that I could be proud of. And, and I, and I rationalized my existence in an industry that was increasingly troublesome to me by ensuring that I was playing a part in building a company and a product that I could be proud of. And I still am, am very proud of that. So yeah. um, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Girl. Yeah. Like I, whatever it was about the market, every dude, they were nice, but I guess I read through, I read through it. It's not, I read through, I read through this book and I read through, I'm a slow reader, dude. So there's a couple, there's times when I have to like double back. Um, and, and because I have to double back a lot of the, things that you presented like some of the stories just really frankly jack my brain up you know what i'm saying like but i want to go into what you just said right like you were building things that you were proud of and there are instances in this book where it's almost like i felt like you might have even had a camber in your hand and you just kind of looked down like what the fuck man you know what i'm saying like yeah after a situation so where is the where's the dichotomy, right? Like where is it between you grew up as a ranch kid, if we go into your background, and you know the value of the gun of, of firearms because of your father. And we gonna get into him too. 
And you know the value yeah, of firearms. But then you're an executive, and you've got to make money for this company, build it up, and grit your teeth. When when did you break your back molar, man? Like, what, what happened? What's the dichotomy? Well, um, so you're right. I, I grew up on a ranch. Literally, I mean, I joke about saying I grew up on a shotgun and a rifle, a shotgun in one hand and a rifle in the other, but honestly— it's not that's not far from the truth mm-hmm. um i was shooting and hunting and carrying guns through the prairie of western kansas um far before <laughs> i was old enough really to be doing that stuff i mean when i was when i still had ages in the single digits i was doing that kind of stuff yeah um and and i and i put a lot around down range and frankly guns represented to me guns as they do with a lot of people now um, and I think that what people on I want I want to segue here just for a second. What people on the left don't understand about guns and gun experiences are they often don't um, they don't appreciate why there is such an emotional connection right. to guns hunting, and it and it's because they represent for people like you and I, Darrell, they represent things our our fondest memories, right? Our best experiences things we wished could be true. I mean, for me, it was times hunting pheasants behind my childhood dog and my dad and with my dad and with my brother. Um, and like, I, I couldn't have imagined as a, as a young kid, a, a more wholesome experience than doing these things with, with shotguns and hunting deer and with rifles. And I just couldn't have imagined that. Um, and when I got into the firearms industry, like a lot of kids, you know, I played baseball, right? And so I played baseball as a kid. I played baseball in college. And so, you know, kids that play baseball dream of making the major leagues. And I, I thought about baseball as a career, uh, given the fact that um, I, I was a pitcher and I did not throw 94 and have a wicked slider. Um, I, I, the next best thing for me was getting into the big leagues of the outdoor industry. And I did that. And right. I, I, I created, I basically helped build up a team, right, in the outdoor industry. And, man, that was about as close to the big leagues as I thought I could get. But directly to your question, that happened in 19, I got in in 93, 94, um, went to Kimber, um, started this little operation for Kimber, and, or helped start it in 95. And then by 2004, I was recruited, and this is during the Bush administration, I was recruited to do a press conference at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., criticizing the Bush administration oil and gas plan, which was set to rototill some of the um, most iconic Western landscapes. These are places where I bird hunted, where I elk hunted, where I fly fished. Um, I just didn't believe that real hunters and fishermen, real conservative Republicans would ever submit to, to industrializing and ruining these places. It just seemed so incredibly evil to me. And so I, I, I did this speech um, thinking of myself as a as a red blooded right wing, you know, gun toting American. In other words, I thought of myself as a Republican. I was thoughtless about it, but I did. Um, and when I gave that speech, uh, all fucking hell broke loose, man. Like really? the NRA came after me, the NSSF came after me, all because I was trying to protect places for hunters and fishermen. And what I realized in that instant is I had been duped. I was in what was becoming a church and they were telling the congregation one thing that they were four hunters, four fishermen, four wild places. But when it came to it, 
they were ready to sacrifice anything, anything and everything for more power and more sales. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, uh-uh, no, I'm going to keep doing this and build my company, but I ain't fucking doing that. And so I decided I'm going to use every bit of street cred I have and I'm going to try to build the company and the industry I want, but I'm not going to let them rototill the places where I want to bird hunt and fly fish and elk hunt and everything else. So that was 2004 was the hinge pin for me. So, all right. So you, all right, this, you made me think about something. Um, and this was something that bothered me, um, especially being from Atlanta, like me being from Atlanta, firearms owner, you know, Hunter, and I was fairly new back in the back in the day. Like I say, back in the day, it was that long ago. But I was fairly new to hunting, and I see this commercial from the NRA, right? And it really, it, it, there was there was something about it that bothered me. Number one, it was there was Killer Mike was in it, the rapper Killer yeah. Mike, and I enjoy yeah. Killer Mike. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I vibe out with yeah. him. Like he old Atlanta, like I am. Yep, and. I see him on this NRA commercial and I'm just like, hmm, that doesn't seem right. Like he was talking about like something, something about having a gun. Well, I look at that and I'm like, okay, so you guys will get this rapper on here. That's from my city. I totally relate to him. I understand where he's from. You want to get people all riled up to buy him. But what about teaching specifically minorities, the value of guns the way that frankly most white folks see it and it in in a if you're going to teach people to buy guns as an executive i'm asking you why didn't any of y'all think maybe we should educate them on the beauty of firearms so maybe we can stop villainizing firearms and we can decrease crime well, here's the reason, Darrell, because in in the first part of my career, um, the things that drove sales were sustainable, wholesome, part of America, and really defendable. Target shooting, who has an issue with that? Good self-defense practices, who has an issue with that? Hunting, who has an issue with that? Skeet shooting, trap shooting, all the things. I mean, I've mentioned a bunch of things that you and I 100% agree on. Mm-hmm. Who has an issue with that? But it got to a point where in American society, that could only drive so much business. The way to drive business past that was to create fear and capitalize on it, was to create conspiracy theory and capitalize on it, was to create any kind of consumer for guns in any way, in any way possible. In other words, it went from a culture that valued responsibility, teaching safety. You know, just as a quick aside, I had a college professor once that told me we have a, he said, you know, we have a Statue of Liberty on one coast. And really, if this company, if this country is going to function, we need a Statue of Responsibility on the other coast. And we so often only focus on this liberty thing as if we can have guns, we can create angst. We can create racial strife. We can create fear and hate and conspiracy, and we can pump guns into it, and everything's going to be okay. Well, guess what? It ain't going to be okay. It is not going to be okay if we do that. That's why what I'm calling for, what I believe, what I saw wrung out of the industry is the clear, 
understanding that responsibility always had to be a part of a gun sale or gun ownership. And in the last, you know, certainly in the last four or five years, but even in the last 10 or 15 years, um, really with the advent of the Obama presidency, responsibility was just something that slowed down sales. So the answer to your question is why didn't, why didn't anybody do that? Because, dude, that slows down sales. Mm-hmm. That slows down votes. That doesn't create enough angst. You've you got to have more and more and more and faster and faster and faster and more people hating each other because that's what creates votes and that's what creates gun sales. And that's not something that's going to sustain our society or yeah. our democracy. Well, it's not. And, and it's funny because, and I'm, you know, I'm always going to go back to bird dogs, right? Like, you, you watch this. Black people, we've been running bird dogs, right? We've been doing this. Like, we've been at the forefront of bird dog history, which means, frankly, we've been at the forefront of the hunting industry since way back then, whether we were trappers, whether we were we, we were mostly trappers. So then you have these, um, these, these conservation, I guess, blockages, if you want to call it that. And instead of empowering African-American people to purchase firearms, which if you think about it, Ryan, you wouldn't you get more money? Yeah. Wouldn't you get more dollars for conservation? Is well, the, the, the system yeah, is ahead, the but... system is so deep and so hate filled that it's almost like you're willing to sacrifice you're you're sacrificing money by keeping well, a demographic out not really if you and here's why if you empower a much more numerically um, prevalent minority with generally generally speaking um, a larger financial resource to hate the other minority with a lower financial resource, what's the better gamble? Mm-hmm. I mean, let's make let's make one hate the other and one buy the guns because they hate the other. It's just it's just a simple business. So the, the okay, so the perpetuation of more the, the perpetuation of a race war is essentially a business transaction. Gotcha. Yeah, of course <laughs> it is. Dude, do, yeah. is there any is there I mean, you and I both know the highest gun sales ever Uh in the history of the country was when COVID and it was March through July of 2020 when COVID was ravaging the country Uh and soon after the George Floyd murders, the George Floyd murder and the BLM rallies. There's, it's not an accident that the highest gun sale totals ever happened after that. Why? Because the racial strife in this country was off the goddamn hook. Okay, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm not a nuclear scientist. I can figure this out. Yeah, you can figure it out. Yeah, people were buying guns because they were scared shitless. Well, and that's that was that was a thing that I also noted about the firearms industry, and and it's something that I really related to in your book, right? Like, I I love shotguns. Like, I absolutely love them, and particularly double barrel shotguns. I like pistols, you know, particularly 1911s and particularly revolvers, right? Because, frankly, like I, as 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 a kid, grew up, you know, 
those were the things that my granddaddy had and he taught me on them, right? Like it, it wasn't yeah. anything that I was taught to have an aversion to, but it, and it also wasn't anything that I was taught, you know, to use violently. Like it, it was, it was something that I knew it was self-defense, but mostly keep it in a tool. If you want to use it, go ask granddaddy. It ain't no big deal. Like don't make a thing out of it. Right. And, and I never had an interest in like rifles and ARs and stuff. And one thing that she, that, that struck me about our conversation is like, frankly, I bought an AR because of all the craziness that was going on in uh, uh, the country. What was that? 2019, 2020. Yeah. 2020. I mean, honestly, yeah, it was, it started uh, Darrell, in 2019. And my thing yeah, like was, you and, talk, you and I talked right after that. Yeah. You and I talked right after that. And uh-huh. you need to tell, I've related to a lot of people. One of the most touching conversations I've ever had was when you told me that you bought an AR, not because you loved ARs. Yeah, like I could care less. You bought an AR because you were worried about your family in a mixed race part of Georgia, and you were worried that somebody was going to march down the street and threaten your family. Right. And that's a shit that, and that's what I'm saying. Like, that's a terrible reason to purchase a firearm. You know what I'm saying? Like, my shotguns, like my bird hunting guns, I bought those because I wanted to, I fundamentally enjoy them. But we buy this other thing out of fear, like, or, or out of, out of, not, I don't, I don't necessarily live in fear. But out of, even out of remote concern, even out of the deepest concern, that that's even a likely outcome? Like, why is that an outcome, dude? Like, so why, why is that a likely outcome? All right, guys, just to take a little bit of a break. I know it's, 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 it's a pretty heavy conversation, but I just want to take you guys back to the Charles Jordan group. Charles Jordan recognizes quality. Surely was the one who educated me on the beauty of a Spanish double gun. And actually, since I've acquired my AYA, number 456, that brings up a conversation about creativity on two different levels. Number one, about Charles Jordan and the Charles Jordan group. And number two, about AYA and their wonderful, wonderful craftsmanship in building a better firearm. So call the Charles Jordan group and ask them about their Spanish double guns and their involvement and how they have done the creative marketing for firearms companies sporting lodges, hunting resorts, and so on and so forth for our hunting community. Check them out at charlesjordangroup.com for more information. And you can let them know you spoke to me about fine double guns, marketing, strategies, all of that stuff to better your business in the outdoor. Check them out at charlesjordangroup.com. Also, when I talk about AYA, of course you know that they make double-barreled guns, shotguns, both side-by-side and over-under versions in box-lock and side-lock versions, as well as double rifles, and all models share a common denominator. Going back to quality, they have exceptional quality. The ownership of an AYA shotgun makes one part of a special and exclusive community. So go and check them out at aya-findguns.com. Yuganuba provides the nutrients canine athletes need. Genetics and training are the foundation of performance. But to fully set performance in motion, 
Dogs need nutrition designed for what they do. And you can check that out and get your sporting dog fueled up at youcanubasportingdog.com. Of course, y'all know I'm going to keep plugging this good old Dogman film that we have coming out in collaboration and partnership with uh, Onyx Hunt and Land Limited. And I want to thank Jacob, Adam, and Matt for a phenomenal production. But until that comes out, know where you stand. Probably standing in the woods right now in the field because the season is upon us. If you're not using Onyx Hunt, go to onxmaps.com. Go ahead and get yourself an elite membership. That will give you access to the entire, um, the, the all, all of the, the public lands that are documented in the United States. Go to onyxmaps.com. Get yourself a subscription, preferably an elite subscription, and use my promo code GDN20 for 20% off that subscription at checkout. Before we get back to the episode, I want you guys to go check out the in-town Atlanta wealth management law firm, Edie Smith Wealth Management, that specializes in estate planning, tax preparation, tax representation. Yes, sir, that is right. And they don't charge the infamous expensive lawyer hourly rate. So go get yourself a free consultation and they will quote you a guaranteed flat fee at edsmithwm.com. That's E-A-D-Y-S-M-I-T-H-W-M.com. So let me ask you something. If you were in the business of selling something, and you realize that people like Darrell or your white neighbor down the street that feared you would buy something because of fear, wouldn't you propagate that fear? Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so, so so let's talk about your sentiments as, as far as having to make that decision. I know you've been put in that, that situation. How'd you navigate it? You 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 have to you have hard. to propagate fear for the sake of selling these guns. Every chance I got, and there's stories in the book, I got to the point, Darrell, where I just I just couldn't take it anymore. Like the fundamentals of basic business were so far gone. I mean, I had a reporter ask me a couple of days ago. He's um, you know doing some story on me or the book or whatever, and he said, Ryan, what? You were vice president of sales, right? But yeah. He goes, well, what, what really, what impact could a vice president of sales really have on gun sales for a company when it was so influenced by politics and fear? I said, now you're asking a good question. Mm-hmm. And that was so frustrating to me because this reliance on this ever-increasing political fear cycle really took out the fundamentals for any good gun company, you just sort of had your product and you just sort of sat around and waited for, well, wait till the next Democrats elected or wait till the next community, black community organizer from Chicago is our president. And we'll, we'll claim he's going to rewrite the constitution and steal all of our guns. And who knows what put half of us in jail, like the conspiracy theories were just off the fricking hook, man. Um, and, and that's what drove gun sales. And those of us who wanted to build a gun company based upon fundamentals and quality and service and everything else we were kind of like well I, I guess i mean i guess we're just sort of along for the ride and that's a that's a hard thing 
that's a hard thing to rationalize. It was very difficult for me. Um, I will say that the company that I wanted to build and that I helped build was a little more removed from that than some of the companies who dove into what we called the commodity business, which meant you just built plastic things as cheap as you could build them as fast as you could build them and stack them up as high as you could stack them. And then when the gun boom hit, when Durrell was scared for his life, he'd run out and buy a couple of these. Like that's really not what the guns that we built and sold were. Um, even so we were influenced by it and it troubled, it troubled the hell out of me. Yeah. So, I mean, like, all right. It, and this is something that I just want to know as a writer too. So pardon me on this. Like at what point did you say, this is, kind of something's going on here like let me start jotting this down like because the book it takes a it's a it, it's i ain't gonna say even a very a, a minor it's a it's a very journalistic approach to being a high level executive at one of the finest firearms companies on the market like when did you decide to take note so very interesting i i started to realize that um I, I was living a life that had two qualities. One, it was very, very interesting. <laughs> the life I was living was very, very interesting. And secondly, nobody ever had had a, had a glance into this industry. It, it would be like, remember back in the day, um, I mean, these shows came out about hospitals like Grey's Anatomy came yeah. out and you know that was but, and it was because people drove by hospitals every day but they didn't know what went on inside of them I mean right. you theorize it like you see doctors going in there you see nurses coming out but you don't know what's going on in there right and for me I was living inside this industry that was that was dominating American culture I mean you turn on the radio you turn on the news like guns 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 like all but nobody knows what goes on inside of there I'm like holy shit I'm living inside this thing that nobody knows about because of this police state that nobody ever speaks out about, um, which is detailed in the book. So I thought, hmm, this is a pretty interesting story. And then as things really started to unravel, especially during the Trump presidency, I started to understand, wait a second. Not only have I been living in, inside of something that nobody really, that like most people never understand, I'm living inside of something that is that is changing this entire country. Like it, it's having a major impact on the entire political landscape of our country. Right. And then I started to kind of put two and two together. Wait. And if you notice the book is sort of a, I know you have, but the book is sort of a back and forth between my personal story and then what's going on in the industry and the country. And then my personal story is sort of wide lens, narrow lens. Well, and that's lens, what, and that's what, that's literally why I said it, it was a very journal. It's almost, it's very gonzo. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? If it, you know what I'm saying? It's it's very um you've got this fear and loathing kind of vibe going on in the book. You know, um very gonzo-esque type type journalism because it's so personal. Like I felt like I walked in those offices and I was on that elevator when you got uncomfortable, right? With them side conversations. And see, that's another thing that I wanted to ask like I remember a time, honestly, growing up at being being young. Like I went to a very, you know, prestigious private school down here, and I remember the conversations on race and stuff like that were kind of bold, dude. You know what I'm saying? Like I'd be like, "Dang, man, like you gonna really say that in front of me?" Yep. 
And yep. see, now it seems in the book, you talk a lot. There are like a lot of little small conversations that you highlight. Well, so it, you, you know what I'm saying? Race has, um, you know, in, in the way the book has been marketed, um, race is really a, a central component in a lot of that marketing. And frankly, it's got a lot of people really twisted up. I've had a lot of people reach out to me and send me really nasty freaking messages and mm -hmm. threaten to behead me and do all sorts of other things to various body parts of mine with all sorts of <laughs> nasty instruments. Yeah, okay. um, um, and I want to be clear. Uh -huh. It's not like I went to NRA conventions or shot shows and saw people walking down the aisles with white hoods on. I didn't see that. Yeah, that's I what I, and, that. and I think that was the, 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 the interesting part about it because, and this is, and I'm sorry to cut you off. I just have to add this. Yeah. Sorry. Like I remember a time that like, my granddaddy tells me all the time about him working for the postal service, you know, as a postal inspector and like, you know, people would show him a, like a KKK card as like a source of trying to intimidate him, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and it's like, people are so wild, you know what I'm saying? When I tell that story, but then in your book, it's kind of the same thing. Like, you know what I'm saying? People kind of show their cards to yeah, you they, so, on them, out, like in them small spaces. That's what I would, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So first off, you know, I, 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 I try to be really honest in the book and um, I want to be honest with you, Darrell. I haven't lived, I haven't lived a perfect life. Certainly I, I grew up in a place. I, I played high school basketball, dude. And I played against one black guy my entire four years of playing high school basketball. So, I mean, you can like, I, I live in a pretty sheltered place. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't think I was racist and I hate this, all this wokeism bullshit, but I have to say at some point we do have to wake up to the realities of what other people face. And, and I didn't understand them. I didn't understand them when I got, even, even after I got out of college and got into the industry, I still didn't understand them. Um, in retrospect, it's easy for me to look back and understand them now and the stories in the book I tell, which are all true. Um, I certainly understand them. I came to understand them over time. You know, each individual one, I didn't think, oh, wait, there's a lot of racism here and it's being used to drive more hate to sell more guns. Like I didn't put it the first time I saw it. I was not a freaking genius. I didn't put it together. Um, after about the 15th, 20th, 30th time, whatever I saw, I'm like, wait just a second. This guy, all these white people trying to get into this NRA convention, and there's this guy, which I tell the story in the book, there's this guy with a don't blame me, I voted for the white guy shirt, meaning he didn't vote for Obama. And there's one black guy out of 500 people here, and he's the guy that's letting people in here. He's the guy working at the place. And everybody is laughing at this guy's t-shirt that says, don't blame me, I voted for the white guy. Now, that's not a white hood, but God damn it, okay? Racism is prevalent, and it's being used, and it's making people fearful of the other, and when they're fearful of the other, they buy more guns. And it took me a little while to put that together, but there's no way that you're going to work as an organization in an industry to tamp down racism when quietly it's the thing that's driving a major part of the sales. And I'm, I'm sad about that. I'm embarrassed. I'm here to say, 
somebody needs, I'm here to say I'm sorry for what role I played in it. But I'm more, I guess the, the thing that I can do now that I hope people appreciate is I can just fucking admit it. I, I can just say it's there. Um, I can just do what I can do. Um, and, and, and I saw things like that. And I saw more and more things like that. And frankly, when the Trump administration came into power and the NRA doubled down on all this and the firearms industry doubled down on all of it right. and when George Floyd was murdered and more guns were sold and more hatred was spread, I'm like, okay, I got to draw a line somewhere. I got to get the fuck out of here. Well, like, and, I, and I, got, I think everybody drew a line during that time, like that specific summer. You and I met that summer. Yeah. I think everybody drew a line, dude. It wasn't just you. <laughs> I drew a line and started Minority Outdoor Alliance with my wife. Yep. That line led me to you, frankly. You know what I'm saying? Through a couple other channels, but most importantly, it just got me to you. And and I just, I appreciate it, honestly. And, and what I appreciated the, uh, so much about the book, frankly, I don't, I love the role and responsibility that I have taken on and, and assumed and been blessed to have, right? Like, you know, and and trying to bring folks together in the outdoors and, and, and in this industry. And, and that does require a conversation like this, right? But I can't always be the voice because my voice don't always necessarily resonate with everybody. You know what I'm saying? Because well, sometimes my wife well, who's in the book yeah. is keeps telling me, Ryan, this is only gonna change when somebody like you kicks down the door. Yeah, that's Women what I'm can't saying. Kick down the door. Darrell can't kick down the door. Yeah. We can walk through it. We can make a difference, but you gotta help kick down the door. Right. Um, like and, it, and so well in the, the it comes it comes from all it comes from every level. You've gotta have you know, people that are willing to take that, you know, take that position and, you know, be the person or I guess be the representative or, or just stand for something larger and something greater on every level, right? Like every social, socioeconomic level. And that's the thing that I think people are missing. Like you have a significant voice in this, Ryan, because You've seen stuff that, frankly, I will never see. Well, I I got to the point where I just thought, if nothing else, I've got to be honest with the world about what's going on here. Like, I may not make a difference, but at least I can tell the story. At least I can explain to everybody. You know, so many people that have read the book have emailed me or called me and said, okay, I finally understand why this country is where it is. I finally understand why the gun thing is the way it is. I finally understand how hunters have been co-opted or I find like, I think the first step to fixing all this stuff is just like people like you and me figuring out what the reality is, how we got here. Um, and, and if nothing else, I hope my book does that. It just explains to us the reality of why people like you and I are, are where we are. Yeah. Well, let me, let me, let me ask you this. When you wrote this book, right? White guy, very high level, you know, very, very, very high up at one of the finest gun companies, you know, in the world, right? 
Is there a point that you were concerned that maybe you were going to be written off because your who you are might become the villain or might already be the villain? Of course. I'm concerned. I was concerned every second I was writing. I'm concerned when I'm talking to you right now. I was concerned last week, and I'll be concerned next week. Um, I, I'm not trying to make myself out to be a hero here, but I, I put everything I have on the line to do this and tell this story. Um, and it's not, you know, I didn't own the company. I didn't make the billions of dollars. I didn't, um, you know, I don't have, a, it, it, the company didn't go public. I didn't retire on it. Um, I wasn't born with a bunch of money. I was a ranch kid um, who worked hard. I'm a privileged white guy who has lived comfortably, but I, I didn't like have a financial nest egg and then decide to do this. That's not why I did it. Yeah. I did it because so many of the things that I care about in this country are being ruined by something that I was a part of. And it doesn't have to be that way. It just, it's a conscious decision by forces that we don't have to let control us. The, this is not inevitable. Um, these are not things that people in, like you and I cannot change. We can change them. Right. We don't have to allow them to happen. We don't have to allow racial division to separate us. We don't have to allow hatred to drive gun sales. We don't have to allow our democracy to be threatened by assholes who storm the Capitol with AR-15 flags and demand more gun rights. We don't have to allow that. There's nothing that says we have to allow that. Mm -hmm. And I just got to a point where I decided I didn't want to live in a country and I didn't want my boys to live in a country where I hadn't tried to address this and make it better. I just had to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, and that's so, (laughs) which leads me to my next thing. You, you, you said you had to do something about it. But there were also points, because the book is so endearing, right? Like, I felt like, again, I was right there with you. But I also felt like I was right there with you in that first chapter where y'all were in that protest. Yeah. Where did you become a man in that scenario letting your boy out there? That that was a pivotal. You opened up with what seemed like an almost transcendent moment. So put me in that headspace. Well... And for those of you who are listening here, um, the book opens with probably, I will say, the only firearms executive in the history of the firearms industry that attended a Black Lives Matter rally with his family. And that was me and my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did it because to me, I, I, and I really like the John Kennedy quote, and I'm going to butcher it here, but essentially it says, the hottest places in hell are reserved for people who in times of great moral crisis fail to take a stand. And um, I felt like the country was in great moral crisis. And um, we, we did that. Um, Not, I didn't go down there to make press or to get more material for my book. Um, But we went to this um, rally, even in Kalispell where there's lots of white supremacy. I live in Kalispell, Montana, lots of white supremacy here. But I showed up down there, and I was just absolutely blown away with the number of people that were there, mostly high school-age kids, but in a place that couldn't garner a couple dozen protesters for most most, most social causes. Darrell, there was between 1,000 and 1,500 people down there all chanting for racial justice, and it was a very touching thing. 
the thing that wasn't touching about it is there was also about 100 to 150 what I would what anybody would claim were just armed militia members who were there to quote unquote air quotes here keep the peace. They were all armed with AR-15s, 30 round magazines, three point harnesses, tactical vests, tactical gloves. You know, they were they were there to shoot the shit out of people. And um, one of those people attacked my son just out of nowhere, just started screaming at him, and he was armed. Um, just started screaming at him. He was an evil little bastard. And all my kid was doing, my kid weighed, you know, 65, 70 pounds soaking wet. And, um, and this guy is attacking him and punching his finger in his chest, calling him an evil bastard. And I thought about, I looked around this thing with, you know, 1500 people there trying to do the right thing, a hundred or 200 armed people there. And I thought, Oh my God, how this could go so wrong. Like, one itchy trigger trigger finger man like it could have just been blood running down the streets Mm -hmm. and and my kid was there in the middle of it and i'm standing there beside him getting screamed at and and i have been in the industry that has empowered these assholes that has told them the more guns they buy the bigger badder badasses they are the more they own the libs the more they show up to flash their guns in front of people and tell everybody how big and bad and everything else they are like that. That's what's going to make them into real men. And I just, I thought of all the marketing campaigns, the Bushmaster ad, the, the famous or infamous one now that get your man card back ad, um, which ran the, the same gun that Adam Lanza used in the Sandy hook shooting. Mm-hmm. And I just thought about, gosh, this is just run amok. It's just out of control. Like our country is just close to coming apart at the seams. And sadly the thing that I wanted to do as a kid, the major leagues that I wanted to, you know, I wanted, (laughs) I wanted to pitch in the major leagues, the outdoor industry and Holy shit, it's turned into this. Mm -hmm. Like this is what, and I, I just, Sarah and I just, I, I, I mean, I was already planning to get out. I was already working on the book, but that, that, that evening we sat around and looked at each other and just said, everything I ever feared, it's just, it's worse than I thought it was. It's not better. It's worse. And then January 6th happened. And then like, it just keeps getting worse. And, um, so I don't think that I wrote a book that is some way that is in some way warning people of something that isn't going to happen. I'm fearful that I've written a book that downplays all of this. (laughs) That that doesn't, that that doesn't even label it as bad as it actually is. I don't well <laughs> okay so let me let me detail that statement for you. So you 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 said something in that book that was pretty powerful to me and I guess it relates to the same thing. And you, and I'm going to quote you you said it's pretty good when times the the gun business when you're talking about the 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 gun business being like the alcohol business. You say it's pretty good when times are good and it's fucking great when times are bad. You know, and it's kind of like that was a revelation to me like wow, like huh it's just the the propagation, you know. what I'm saying of 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 of, of human demise, really. Yeah, and it, yeah, and it, and, it, and, it, and it just I guess for me it's like, and I love firearms. I don't think I don't I don't want anybody to think that this conversation is like against firearm. No, it's, that's not what we're saying. It's it's just like I've always just wondered at what point is it still worth it? You know, like I I, I, I yeah. Well, so here's, I view, first off, almost everybody that's read the book calls me 
and says, holy shit, this, like, people warned me this was some anti-gun screed. Like, no, it's not. And, and they, they say, it's not at all. I said, yeah, absolutely, it's not at all. In a lot of ways, it's sort of a love song to responsible gun ownership and to decency in democracy. Yeah, like, what I, exactly What I right. warn is that we're not going to have democracy. We're not going to have decency. We're not going to have a time when Darrell and Ryan can go bird hunting. I hope soon. If we keep pushing, if we keep using things like our love of guns to shred the very fabric of society that allows us to get together and bird hunt together, we're not going to have any rights. Yeah. Like, it's not going to exist. People think that's hyperbole. It's not hyperbole. Like this, this whole democratic experiment, this idea that we can have a multiracial, multi-ethnic, multi-religious society based on democratic principles, that's a pretty new thing in human history. It's a pretty fragile thing. Yeah. It's not this sort of durable, it's not this sort of durable idea that can just take, you know, any bunch of assholes. Mm-hmm dreaming up any bunch of power play and money play to tear it apart. No, it takes people like you and me standing up and strengthening it and enforcing responsibility on everybody or we're, it, it's all at play. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to live in a world where you and I can't to get, get together with shotguns and bird dogs and have a good time. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm and in the last year and a half or two, I've been scared more than once that we're teetering on, on a, on a hit on a future that doesn't allow that. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it's interesting, like you're talking about, you're talking about the perpetuation or, or the, it's like distilled down fear. Like you, it's just a cold fear where people can't look at each other in the eyes. Yeah. And it's interesting. So you have people like that, right? That own firearms that just fundamentally are, I guess, okay with the disposability of human life and democracy, right? And there's a point in your book that really struck me, and 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 it and it it goes into what we're talking about now, about the hermit, right? Your dad's best friend back in the day, yeah. yeah. And you did something at literary that really made the the piece more impactful. You almost glossed over the story, I felt like. And I say that in a, in a in a very interesting way. The way that you described it, you 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 told the details of it, but it it felt like as I was reading it, it happened very quick and then hmm. buddy just walked off and that was just the life gone, right? Like Yeah. It, it felt very slammed, it was like I don't like you. And then walked away. Yeah. yeah, like it 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 was it was like buddy was just like his uh you know, the hermit dude, he he was just kind of like, all right, well, you're trying to get into my property. You're plotting on me for no absolute reason, right? Like, for for no sensible reason, for no sensible reason, did this man assume that something was up? And this man also had a firearm and literally killed your dad's best friend, chased him down, Okay. Yeah. Like, and that that type of cold evil is what, for some odd reason, still gets pushed through the generations, and that's what bothers me. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, it it it's just like, why are we allowing? You know, the like, at what point do we do we scream two A when stuff like that happens? You know what I'm saying? And it, and it's like, all right, guys, like, and that same nonsensical fear exists today, and it's almost made okay. Yeah. You, know, you talk about the Kyle again. Rittenhouse thing, like, dude, that was a 17-year-old boy that he's went up there with, with a sense of purpose. Yeah, he's a hero. And it's just like, where have we gone in the firearms industry to condone that? When, when well, it, here, Here's the thing, Darrell. You, people like Kyle Rittenhouse have become valuable to the hate machine and the fear machine and the, and, and the machine that the NRA built because he buys guns and when he's old enough to vote, he'll vote. If he's not in prison, he should be in prison. Well, his family can't time. pay for it. From what I understand, they didn't get the money. Yeah. So, but you see, he's more valuable because he's a gun friendly person who's going to purchase guns. It's more, it's more important to empower him and hate, and hate a Democrat that won't buy a gun. Like, that's the social calculus, right? That's the calculus the NRA built. Better off to empower and celebrate Kyle Rittenhouse than it is to celebrate Jamie Raskin, a congressman from Maryland who whose son died just before January 6th and whose family was in dire danger from those insurrectionists right. during January 6th. Like, Raskin is more of a danger to society, according to the NRA, than Kyle Rittenhouse is. Because Kyle Rittenhouse is going to buy a gun. He's a good guy because he's going to buy an AR-15. In other words, the only thing that matters, the only character trait that matters, is whether or not you are AR-15 friendly. And I'm telling you, if that is the measure of our social worth, we are in a bad fucking way. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it should not... It should not be the case. But look, Ryan, this is what I also want to... I want you to put me here. You were also running Kimber during Sandy Hook. Take me through that day. Take me through the day it happened. It was... um, In your mind, like, as a... I I detail in the book that because the truth of the gun industry was that... um, we were so influenced by external events, political and anything in the news. You know, we were conditioned to just sort of be on high alert for anything that popped up in the news. You know, the red banners and, the and you know, anything that, that screamed at you through the websites or through your phone. or um, And during Sandy Hook, which happened in 2012, um, when that happened, it was early in the morning in the West because it happened mid morning in Connecticut. And, um, I got a call from my wife about this horrific thing that had happened. And, and I had literally just made breakfast for our boys, um, who, one of which was uh, going to, to school. Um, well, they were both going to school. One was going to school, one was going to preschool. And I got a very frantic call from Sarah, my wife, saying, you know, basically, are you watching this? It's horrific. There's some horrible shit going down. I clicked on the Internet. Um, I, I got a couple other texts, and my sales guys started to, to file into my office. And 
most of us were of the same age where we had young families and for a brief amount of time, we could all see ourselves in the horrific nature of what was going on at Sandy Hook. Um, and just unbelievable. I mean, just indescribable horror, mm-hmm. you know, later that afternoon, um, president Obama gave a very tearful address to the nation, um, in which, and I detailed some of that quote in the book, but it was, you know, a very, very eloquent, heartfelt address. And, but, then, um, there, but there was another part that you really detailed though. But it wasn't long before the calculus started to take over. Mm-hmm. Um, and the calculus was, what's this going to do to gun sales? And the calculus was correct. It drove gun sales absolutely freaking crazy. And so it didn't take a genius to understand that the more tragic and horrific an event was, the more perilous it made gun control legislation, the larger the sales totals would be. We saw it. Everybody commented on it. Like literally within two or three days, we, we, we couldn't even answer the phones fast enough. We couldn't write down the orders fast enough. We couldn't get the million-dollar POs in the, in the computer fast enough. Wow. Everybody was buying a gun, and it was all because 20-some kids and teachers in an elementary school were mowed down by a troubled guy with a Bushmaster XM-15 ES-2 Shorty AK. That was the model. Mm-hmm. So it's um, just total exploitation of a, of a wow. It wasn't purposeful expo- exploitation, but it was very clear that what happened after tragedy and political discussion was more gun sales. The same thing happened to some degree with Columbine. I was at Kimber during Columbine. The same thing happened after Virginia Tech. The same thing happened after, I mean, nothing as bad as little first graders but, being murdered. Right. But, but I mean, but, at a point you don't think it's, it's intentional. Like at a point after it happened so many times, like really it's almost calculated. It's everybody in the industry knew when sales got tough, that if just a tragedy were to emerge, sales would explode. That's that doesn't mean that people, up, it's sort of like the racism thing we talked about, right? It's not that you, it's not that people are marching down the aisles of trade shows in white hats. But it's also not that people don't understand that racism drives sales. And it's the same with tragedy. It's not that people were propagating tragedy. But, but it was also, convenient when it happened. Exactly. Sales, sales blew up when it happened. Yep. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Wow. And, and that um, rather, to me, the first thing that should have happened is, aren't we all Americans and parents and humans that care about little kids? Like, in a moment like this, Really, we worry about business, especially gun business. Um, and enough of those, and it wears on you, man. Yeah. It, it really, I mean, one of them wears on you. Um, enough of them really wear on you. And, and to, to keep that going, to keep that sort of mindless, like brushing that away from your, from your psyche, you really have to detest the quote, air quotes here, other side. Oh, they're just going to use this for gun control. Like you really have to drum up a lot of hatred of them 
frankly, you have to manufacture it. It's unhinged. It's it's conspiratorial. Well, it's, and that's what I'm craziness. And that's what I'm saying. Like, it's honestly, frankly, like a lot of us, and I may be I may be speaking from my folks, black people, like speaking a lot, but it just hear me out. Like, a lot of us just want to be left alone. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it's just like as I hear these people and these characters that you're interacting with in the book, they're talking, they're talking about this war, right? This, this just fucking fictional war that's going on. And it's just like, why do you want, you know what I'm saying? Like these characters, these, these individuals that you're having conversations with in this book are literally like imaginarily propagating war. Yeah. Against the people that, frankly, we ain't thinking that much about y'all. Well, if you think about it, Darrell, if you, if let's let's just say you needed to drum up a really fervent war effort, a really fervent war effort. Mm-hmm. What do you need? Really definable, detestable enemies. Right. And if the enemies aren't there, you need to create them. Mm-hmm. You need to make them. You need to prop them up. You need to you need to label them. You need, you need to hate them. You need to. And so when I heard, I heard Wayne LaPierre, I quote many things in the book about the, the statements that were made about the Obama presidency. He is going to quote unquote, rewrite the constitution. I don't know if anybody has checked, but the president does not have the power to rewrite the constitution. Yet Wayne LaPierre said this with a straight face and thousands, if not millions of people clapped and contributed because of it well you're talking I about mean, people that that are not reading you know what i'm saying like the, the actual policies and <laughs> the yeah, legislature yeah, yeah, you know i mean we we sit around and make fun of QAnon people now because they think that hillary clinton has sex slaves in a pizza parlor the, the stuff that that wayne lapierre said is no less unhinged than that QAnon stuff no less i mean the nra put out ads that said Barack Obama was going to outlaw, quote-unquote, all hunting ammunition. Really? Really? Right. Like, what, what, who, what insane person believes this? Well, I, I could tell you. I mean, about five million of them. I mean, it drove votes. It drove sales. It, dro- it drove the business. And so once that sort of wore off, then the next thing, you had to get even crazier even louder like you know and and that's where the trump administration came in and that's why it's no surprise that the sort of craziness espoused by trump the sort of racial division the sort of when you know when george floyd was murdered and then the you know trump threatening to to bring guns out on protesters to to haul the military out to mow down people like me and my kids and you and people who are protesting for racial justice that was the answer. That's because an ever increasing amount of fear and hate has to be created to create the next sale and the next vote. Well, and all right. So, and the other thing I guess that, that really struck me particularly about that time, like the masculinity behind guns, right? Like, especially during 2020, like the, that, 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 that very toxic masculinity behind firearms ownership but then there were a lot of women that almost seemed like i guess that that were very much so tied to that movement um almost like agreeing with it and it was completely derogatory this like 
masculine, like macho, macho man, big guns. And I was just like, are we not seeing this guys? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it was almost like the firearms industry when it became, when it came down to women, I, I, there was just, it didn't, it wasn't like an education. I feel like, I feel like towards women during that time, I feel the same way that I feel like it was towards, you know, black people. It wasn't educational. Well, it was fear-based. It was, it was totally well, like, ready to say. when you ran out and buy an, bought an AR, Darrell, it wasn't like you had been sitting at home for four years going, Oh gosh, I sure love ARs. I yeah. wonder which one I'm going to buy. No, you were scared shitless. Well, and I mean, and it's one of those things that's kind of like, wait a minute, like when I start seeing people at my, like what, what really got me was the news story of the dude uh, at Hartsville Jackson Airport down here walking around the airport with an AR-15 because he had to take his daughter to the airport. There's a little too much liberty there. I'm kind of like, okay, dude, like. Really? I mean, could you even imagine? Like, and that's, like but no, like, it's my, that's the airport in Atlanta. Like, that was here. Could you imagine, though, Darrell? If I did that, hell no. Heck no. Yeah. You take your, you take your girl down there to the airport when, when she's 14. My, she's child, to see her would not, my child would and, not see her father. Well, let, let's just say you hop out of the car with your AR-15 saying, I'm going to march her up to the check baggage here. You would be mowed down in two seconds. Yeah. Like, and, and I guess that's where I'm just kind of like, all right, guys, like, the airport does have security. Pretty good security at that. Like, 9-11 made sure of that, honestly, if I'm being totally honest. 9-11 <laughs> made sure that there was plenty of security at, you know, the vast majority of airports. Especially Hartsville-Jackson. So why do you feel the need to you know, walk, just why, like, that's just a lot to me, man. Well, I think it's and just, when you try to empower, when you tell people that the ultimate empowerment for them is to buy a gun and is to use that gun to frighten people, I mean, do you think it's any accident that the, that the men, white men, who marched into the Michigan Capitol all had ARs with 30 round magazines loaded. I don't think that's an accident. Yeah. Do you think well, it's an accident it, that it, it happened it, in Kentucky or Virginia? I don't. I don't think that's an accident. So, like, the symbolism of firearms, like, how tuned in were you to that? Like, the symbolism of, like, the silhouette of an AR, right? Like, so it, it happened quick. I will tell you, it happened quick. It, 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 it feels like it has been with our society for a long time, mm -hmm. but this, this whole symbolism, Black Rifle Coffee, AR-15 flags, come and take it flags, this sort of the AR-15 on the bumper stickers, which became, you know, it became two things, right? It's sort of the, it's sort of like a combination of a MAGA hat and reminding you, oh, and by the way, I can shoot the shit out of you if you don't like this. Like it's, it's two things, right? It's, it's massive intimidation and it's a reminder about how much firepower is behind that massive intimidation. Yeah. Um, that really accelerated. It was it became, it became somewhat apparent during the Obama years, sort of a own the libs kind of thing. 
But with Trump, it's just like it just the lid just got ripped off of it. Yeah. You know, just like use use anything you can to intimidate everybody who doesn't look like you or agree with you. And the most powerful thing that you can use to intimidate people is that gun. Mm-hmm. Well, and and it's it you have to understand that is what the air is the most effective, you know, platform you know, in the world pretty much. Yep. Yep. It's the most effective platform in the world. And and like what does that mean, you know, as a firearm owner? But then it's 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 also a way to discourage those of us that may not be as keyed into firearms, right? Like it didn't discourage me from, you know, wanting it, but but a lot of right. us, minority, it'd be like, well, shoot, like I don't want nothing to do with that. Right. It's telling you I'm the expert. I know how to kill you. Don't even try to get in my way. Don't. Right? And you're just kind of like, and you're just sort of like, shit, I'm staying, I'm, I'm getting out of here. Right. I'm, I'm out of here. A lot of, and you know, now, but what was interesting though, what I'm seeing a lot of now, man, I'm seeing more and more people. I, I, I had, I had conversations from my friends that were like, yo, I'm thinking about, they're black. I was like, yo, I'm thinking about purchasing a firearm. And it's interesting. They came to me with some reluctance about, um, the NRA, they were like, yo, what do you, you know, should I do this? Should I not? I was like, no, I don't think so, man. Like, you know, and there was the, and, and they, you know, knew that as like the premier, you know, organization for firearms and stuff like that, even as African-American people. And yeah. it's so interesting how like their reputation has, you know, gone so deep into culture that the things that are going on against black people, as far as that the NRA had done, almost go unseen by black people unless you're invested in it. Yeah. And it's just, well, it, you know, fear because... Fear is powerful, man. Fear is powerful. Well, right. And it's almost like, I wonder why did they use Killer Mike? Why did they use Killer Mike just, you know, as a prop? You know what I'm saying? As a prop, just to get a demographic of people to purchase firearms but still be scared shitless of them. You know, it it it's this weird. I don't know, man. Like that. That's well, just, all. Just the, the basics of this. Ask yourself: Do you and your wife and your kids mm-hmm. want to live in a society where everybody? is scared and hateful of each other and has a gun and is ready to kill each other? No. Or would you rather live in a society where fewer people are scared of each other and hateful of each other and therefore fewer people have a gun and ready and are ready to kill each other? Now, this should not be construed. What I'm saying is not anti-gun. I'm not saying that people shouldn't be allowed to buy guns or that you can't buy guns. I'm just asking, what is the most desirable society? One where everybody's like got the bead drawn on each other, ready to mow each other down, or one that's not. I, I don't think that's a hard call. Right. I mean, it's it's not. It's, I'm not saying I don't want you to have a gun. I'm saying what's you just more have to be reasonable, right? Well, and 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 see, that's the thing. And you know, at, at what when did when did that reasonability pass? Like you spoke a lot about the '90s. People yeah. being reasonable about firearms in the nineties. And I'm a nineties kid. I was born in nineteen ninety. So what like 
you speak a lot of that in the book about that time period, that decade, at least being reasonable about firearms. Well, the industry up until about mid 2000s was very forward about um, knowing that part of being corporate citizens meant that you were also very responsible corporate citizens. There were just certain, there weren't laws that mandated this, but there were just certain, you didn't market in certain ways. You didn't, here, here's a great example, Drew. Forever, for a for hundred years, you had guns like the the Remington 700, right? It was named the Remington 700, bolt-action mm-hmm. rifle. The Remington 1100, shotgun. The Smith & Wesson 629, a revolver. The Kimber Custom Classic, semi-auto pistol. Um, the, the Colt, you know, government, like, semi-auto pistol. I could go on and on and on and on. The Ruger, you know, P whatever. The Smith or the Sig. Yeah, okay. Basic names. Right. They were named that because armies of attorneys and responsible corporate citizens knew that you shouldn't name guns something that would incite people to do bad things. Right. Well, today, today you have guns like there's a rifle called the Ultimate Arms Warmonger. <laughs> there's a gun. There's a gun called the Wilson Urban Super Sniper. The Urban Super Sniper. Wow. Now, you're a black dude. Do I really need to explain to you no. what the pretext between urban snooper sniper is? Oh yeah, it's really? totally, what it, do you think that it's means? it's the insinuation of sniping black people. I mean, I mean, well, of course, yeah, and it couldn't be so, more any more obvious, dude. So, in between the '90s, when when all that responsibility was still in place, to now when we name guns the urban super sniper, what what what, what is it? Do you think we're trying to propagate? Right. It, it, it it's too, like I said, it's too obvious, dude. So it's and and I want to be clear. It's not that I have anything against the gun. It's an assemblage of stamped metal and barrel. Yeah, and the product is no. There, there's no together. problem with the product. I don't care. I don't care. It's about the marketing. This. I'm not anti-gun. I'm worried about the freaking culture that we have created around this, and right. I'm worried about what we will sacrifice, who we will sacrifice. The parts of our society, the best parts of us, will we really sacrifice everything just to sell another one of these? Will we will we frighten Darrell into buying another one just to sell another one of these? Will we create enough social strife so that we can sell more of these? Is that really what we're about? Because I'm not. I mean, right. to me, the most important thing is we live in a stable, safe society where Darrell and I can get together and, and hunt birds. Right. It's not that... that like my ultimate goal is not make Darrell so fucking scared of me that he buys two more ARs. That's I don't want to live in that society. Well, I I'm going to buy two more, and guess what? You're going to buy four more, and then <laughs> yeah, you know exactly, what I'm saying because exactly. you're scared that I. It's a repeat cycle. You're now scared that I got my two more, right? And so you're going to double up, and it, it's the perpetuation of fear, dude. Right, and so like to me. The most important thing is that we live in a society, again, I use the, 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 the bird hunting together is just a symbol for what we want things to be. But mm-hmm. I, I want to live in the society where it's safe for Darrell, a black guy from Georgia, and Ryan, a white guy from Montana, can get together wherever the hell we want to get together and drop our bird dogs on the ground and, th- and drop our shells and our shotguns and snap them shut and walk across wherever we're going to walk. 
Right. That's the life I want to live. That's what I want my kids to be able to do. I don't want to live in a place where I go to a Black Lives Matter rally and these unhinged sons of bitches are so ginned up on conspiracy and hate that they attack my kid for standing up for something right. That's, I don't want to live in that place. Right. Well, and it, and it's just, so what was the revelation from your son? And tell me about that. Like I, you know, that was a big moment for him. And he, he honestly ate it, man. Like he ate that like a champ. My boys, um, you know, my wife is a hero of the book and, um, I don't, you know, I don't even, I don't know. I'm not even sure I write most of, of her, of her goodness and her influence on me and our boys. But, um, she has been an unbelievable influence on me and those, and those two boys that it's incumbent on us to do the right thing for people in this world, no matter what is comfortable. And so, um, there was all sorts of rumors about the sort of militia activity. And I detail those in this story that, that would be at that black lives matter rally. Um, there was a lot of worry that somebody could get killed. I mean, You've got 100 to 150 armed, heavily armed people who are angry with itchy trigger fingers amongst a thousand kids who are yelling and screaming and traffic going by. And like, man, talk about unsafe conditions. Like, that is some unsafe shit. Right. Um, and yet we march right into the belly of it. And, and, and our boys and Sarah, there really wasn't even a thought that we won't go down there and do that. It just wasn't even like, it wasn't even, we didn't even think we weren't going. We, we had contingency plans. Right. If the shooting starts, if somebody dies, you run as fast as you can. We'll meet up at the grocery store. We literally talked about that. Yeah. Um, because again, the John Kennedy quote, the hottest places in hell are, res- in, are reserved for people who in time of great moral crisis cannot take a stand. Yeah. Um, and it was just time for us to take a stand. Wow. That's powerful, dude. I mean, just, you know, being there and, you know, it, it's, it's, I wonder, man, how many people, you know, can sit there and, and say that they've gone through that with their family as a whole. I just, I really, you know, for me to, you really want to applaud that, man. Like, just, I just like lessons like that, you know, that you teach to your sons and, and, and it's about being good, you know, and, it, and it's about, again, standing for something. Like I'm a part of uh, Cap Alpha Psi. And, you know, one thing that we always used to have is 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 a man that um, stands for nothing, falls for anything. Yeah. And you write that and that's a, that's a big thing for us. So, I mean, I just, I just really felt like that was, that was uh, pretty endearing, but look, as we, you know, move into, you know, the new year and, and things are changing and, and you're starting to hunt, you know, how did, I guess, how did, how did, how did the, the firearms industry, did that have an effect on anything hunt related or, or did you, did, was hunting kind of a reprieve from that? It was a reprieve. Um, I came to believe that hunting and the hunting culture and conservation and all the things that I love were kind of an impediment to sales in the firearms industry. And um, as much as 
most people believe they are the center of the gun business. They really aren't the center of the gun business anymore. Really? Um, this this sort of radicalization. They're, they're the center of the gun business for some companies. But um, most guns that are sold, the vast majority of guns that are sold, do not have anything to do with hunting. Right. Um, okay. and, and that that happened through the 90s. That was a transition through the 90s. Um, and so now the growth is in, you know, frankly, making more people like you more scared. So you're going to buy more ARs and more pistols. Yeah. It's, you, you really, you really, you and I, neither of us really need more bird guns. I, I mean, I hope I buy more bird guns. Yeah, but we don't, I have my AYA need, and need. I got a bird like, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. You don't need any more, right? Right. Um, and so that, that's, the, that's when you kind of overlay American quarterly capitalism over all this that says you have to grow no matter what. And if you can't grow, you figure out a way to grow and you create that. That's that sort of demand for growth um, laid over all of this political angst that we've talked about. That's sort of the last piece of why this is the way it is. Um, and, and so I came to real hunting and conservation and all those things became a respite for me. And the companies that still focus on hunting and still focus on conservation, I have immense respect for. Um, and yes, there is, there is taxation that is collected from all firearm sales um, that goes towards conservation agencies across the country. Most of that, frankly, is not voluntary. It's, it's called the Pittman-Robertson's tax. Mm-hmm. It's about 9%, 9.5% on most firearms. And um, it's collected because of a bygone era when firearms companies and ammunition companies stood up um, and said we have to rebuild our hunting and wildlife infrastructure so that we have something to hunt and shoot and so that we have guns to sell and ammo to sell. That's that's really a bygone era. Um, and it's, it's a sustainable thing. It's just not a hugely growth. It, it's, it's not something that's going to produce. I mean, here's an example. In 1995, when I got into the business, I'd have to go back and look at the numbers, but I'm just going to use round numbers here. The industry sold between three and four million units that year. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2021, the industry sold about almost 23 million units, wow. from 3 million units to almost 23 million units. Wow. Um, exponential growth. And most of that has nothing to do with hunting. All right. That's pretty deep, man. It's getting, it's, it's getting pretty deep, man. But while we are talking about what has to do with hunting, um, I want you guys to go and check out the Orvis Hunting and Shooting blog. I got a new piece there called Five Lessons from Expert Dog Trainers. You can check them out. Um, thanks, Reed and Reed Ryan and Phil Monahan for the incredible opportunity. Um, so, yeah, go check it out. And, and if you haven't gotten it already in the mailbox, Go to the Orbis store or go online and subscribe, but you can get three of my uh, newest Orbis catalogs. Um, I'm on the cover of three of them, and it'd be dope. I I just appreciate all the support and those of y'all that have texted me, um, you know, saying how excited you are to see that. So thank you guys again for your support, and thank you, Orbis. Thanks to the Orbis company um, for just an incredible opportunity, an incredible shoot. Also... Dakota 283. Go to Dakota283.com and check out the G3 Series Kennel. That's my favorite one. Um, They've got a whole bunch of different options, but the G3 Series 
um, is what I'm using. I'm using the G3 medium that actually fits each. It, 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 it's it's a good size for each one of my dogs. Um, so go check them out at Dakota283.com and use my promo code TGDN10. Get yourself 10% off at checkout. I also want to encourage you all to go to projectupland.com and, and subscribe to the Project Upland magazine and Undog Confidential magazine. Both incredible, incredible, not only literary pieces, you, you've got some incredible um, authors and writers in, in, in both publications, um, myself included, um, but you also um, have just information and details and insights from all around the world and things that I'd have never heard of before. So go to projectupland.com and subscribe to the magazine and subscribe to Hunting Dog Confidential Magazine and subscribe to all of the podcasts under the Project Upland Network. You can also check out my newest piece, Choir in the Pines. Go to your Apple News app or any of your news apps, really, but you have to do it on the digital platform. Outdoor Life Digital has my piece, Choir in the Pines, and I'd love uh, for you guys to go take a read. Of course, you know I like talking about walking around and hooping and hollering in the South, so check it out and go to OutdoorLife.com and subscribe to that magazine as well. And that's why, that's why the industry and the NRA are also willing to sacrifice hunters. Yes. They need the social acceptance of hunters, but it's not the driving force of the business anymore. Okay, gotcha. Because it's just, it, you know, it, it's so funny. And I guess that was the thing that I was kind of going back to. It was kind of like, why would, you know, as far as black hunters, I, I was thinking in that, uh, or minority hunters, I was thinking in that vein, like, why would you want to discourage minorities from getting guns? It's more money, but I get it now. Like, that's not even a... a, a, a Central Park. Okay. So, look, off of that, I owe you a trip to Montana, dude, and it's happening next season because I can't make it out right. this season. Well, so tell me, but, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. You can't go nowhere now. You got to tell me about these old Britneys because, you know, I got these old pointers out here. Yeah. So, us Britney guys, we, <laughs> we think that we're, um, we think that you look down on us. Right? Oh, we look, you because you you yeah, notice I know yeah, you can't talk yeah, your shit yeah, a little yeah, bit, right? Yeah, oh yeah, I'm talking some shit. <laughs> um, we think you we think that because our dogs are kind of scrappy, right? they're not as most stylish. They don't have that big old high tail. Uh-huh. They don't have you know they don't have all these fancy names and all these kennel names or anything else. But we sort of like we think of our dogs like. um I don't know, like the scrappy kid on the playground. Like, yeah, you got all these. You, we got all these flashy moves on the on the court. Yeah, yeah. Watch this, dude. We're the ones that score. Right? We're the ones that score. Because <laughs> I was gonna say, you come, you you be sending me the pictures flexed up, okay? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. all you setter people, all you pointer people, and whatever you make fun of us. Fine, come on out. Let's go. <laughs> Cause I was like, "Hey, you like, oh man, you gotta come out. You gonna send me the photos of the like rolling hills? Oh, I found a new mountain. I got birds. So, so tell me about these old dogs, man. Since since you got just the greatest thing, walking. Okay, tell me yeah, about these old yeah. Britneys that you got, man. Well, so 
I run, um, so one thing I've, I do, I love Britney's. I grew up with Britney's. Um, I'm a Britney guy. I love their scrap and their go. And I run my dogs hard, man. I run, I mean, when I start hunting here, I have two dogs mm-hmm. and I, uh, I always have two or three dogs. And oddly enough, I always run two breeds of dogs. I have right now I have a Brittany and a wire hair and I love my wire hair. Interesting. Um, why, why the wire hair? Like, well, I've, I've had a short hair before and I like wire hair because I found that running two different breeds of dogs, they do these subtle different things mm. um, that you don't, that, 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 that two Brittany's won't do, but like the wire hair hunts different than the Brittany. And when I, when I have them both in big country at the same time, yeah. one of them finds birds better than the other one at, in certain conditions or runs okay. bigger or one of them likes the heat or the cold better or worse. One of yeah. them re- retrieves down birds better than the other one. Just, well, and, and so, and you know, I got that have, setter coming in Thanksgiving. So it's interesting you said yeah. that because I got my pointers now. Yeah. I love running these two different breeds of dogs, but I will say for me, what I always tell people is for me, a Brittany hunts with his head. Um, the other, and I've hunted with every kind of dog there is to hunt and I love them all. Right. Mm -hmm. The the best bird dog ever is the one that's in front of you right now. (laughs) That's right. Like that's the best dog. Um, and, but Brittany's, I swear to God, my good Brittany's, they hop out of the truck just like I do. And they look at a mountain. I think, okay, there should be a bird up there. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to work into the wind this way. Then I'm going to jump up there. And like, they have it all mapped out in their head. The other dogs that I hunt with, they just go hell bent for election. And when something hits their snout, they lock on point, but they didn't have a plan. Doesn't mean they, they hunted any worse, but I, if you gave me, if you said, Ryan, million bucks on the line, there's one bird on that mountain. What dog are you going to take? I'm like, okay, no style points. Right. Yeah. No, <laughs> like, okay. Okay. Give me the Brit. We're yeah. Gonna go you got to take the Brittany. Yep. And it's just, for me, it's all grit. It's not uh-huh. like I hunt these mountains with these wild birds. I climb like my dogs do 30 miles in a day. I usually give them a day off and yeah. then we do 30 miles the, the, the day after that. Um, and so they'll do like last year, my, both of my dogs did. About, You're walking this whole thing too. Yeah. 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 So I'm doing, I'll do seven or eight or nine miles and 3000 feet of vertical. And my dogs will do 30 miles last year combined my dog my two dogs did almost 2,000 miles during season um and so i mean dude they're they're giving it and and we're and we're finding birds in craggy places in cliffs and you know mountaintops and and when that like every bird every covey becomes important then when you work that hard Mm -hmm. there's no flat places there's no easy places there's no like oh well this hunt's going to be five minutes. We'll just do this little flat down here. Like I don't have any of those places. Right. I hunt the nasty high cliffy, you know, and it's so rewarding to have a dog that just scraps it out with you. Yep. And you get, you get to a point where you're and my lead dog name is, is Brittany's name's Teddy. Um, I don't give a shit if he points over his shoulder between his legs, <laughs> high point, low point, yeah. tail up. I don't matter. I'm just like, Teddy, find the birds. And it's, he does. it's done. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Now, are the, is this a line that you've had been, you know, you've had for a while, like maybe you, you've bred, you know, parents, you've had that dog's parents and so on and so forth, or is this, are these totally new dogs? So this is a dog. So this, no, this is a new dog. Um, and like a lot of farm kids, I grew up with just like 
you know, half breeds. And mm-hmm. my first Brittany was a runt that I bought in, that I owned was a runt that I bought in college. I hunted with lots of Brittany's. And then, so, but this dog, his brother won the national Brittany field child championship. Oh, wow. Um, and he's got major powerhouse blood in his background. Yeah. Um, and it's really the first time I've ever owned a dog that I would say like is the real deal. And we've, um, he's now bred to a female in Washington state and there's two hall of fame dogs in the pedigree. There's four national field trial champions in the pedigree for these pups. So I'm like super excited to get a pup out of this dog, but I'll tell you, Darrell, this is the first, I'm, I'm a shitty bird dog. Like, I'm really shitty. <laughs> you got um, all them wild birds out there. You don't have to be. All I, right. All I do is just run my dog on wild birds. Yeah. I just over and over and over. And you know what? A good, smart dog learns everything he needs to know by just doing that. Every time. Um, a, a couple little retrieval things, but this teddy dog, I never taught him a thing. I'm not lying to you. And he never, I've never seen him screw up. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not like he has never blown through a cubby. Never. He retrieves birds to hand. I never taught him a thing. Um, he finds singles. He knows how to work into the wind. He knows how to quarter. I never taught him a thing. Yeah. And all I did was hunt with him a lot. And when you have that kind of magic synergy with a dog, I, I really believe that dog, I, I've come to the place where I just respect dogs. So, most good dogs I respect so much more than I respect most people. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but I yeah. do. Well, you know, most people led us to this, you know, a lot of the conversation that's been had today. So, yeah, yeah, you know, a good dog yeah. didn't do that. So basically, you have to bring all your polished ass Georgia dogs. <laughs> you know what? I got I got a dog. I got two dogs here that got some heat. I got my Jughead dog and I got my Chloe dog. Now, down here, they run out the country and I love it, too. I, I, I like letting them jokers roll. I, I'm going to bring them all. Because that's just a thing. You got my word. I'll be up there next season. I, I told you that. Um, you got my word. Only if, you know, I get, like I said, I get that message in, in, in the front cover of that book when you send it to me. Um, you know, because I got a manuscript and all of that. But, you know, my thing is, Ryan, um, the, the way that we communicate with do- about dogs, right? Like the passion that we speak about them. For some odd reason, it's interesting that we've, we've not, you know, recognized that in this community, people say, well, what does this have to do with bird dogs? And what, is, what does this have to do to the community? Have you gotten that question? You know, what does this have to do with the outdoors? Like, well... I think it's got everything to do with it. It's got it, right. Like, it, it, it's it's... It's marginalized the community for the sake of, you know, financial gain. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's keeping numbers out of conservation. Yeah, and it's it's taken something that is so spiritual. Anything that people like you and I hold so closely and believe in so much, we have to be careful because that can be twisted to make us do things that are against our own self interest. Right. And frankly, this thing this thing that we love so much has been twisted to make a lot of people who we know and love vote and do things that are against our own self-interest. And that's what I'm, I'm asking for us to stand up for things that are really in our self-interest. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, my, my other thing, man, is I think your father 
is someone that as you read through this book, and I kind of want to talk about him for a second, um, because you, you, you said something about him that really piqued my interest, you know, before I close out. I know I, Brad, you know, bear with me for a second. Yep. But your father was cool. Like his, he had a lot of wishes for conservation, you know, fight, and he was big on firearm safety and, and education, right? Like that, he, he left in him a significant impression on you as far as that. And correct me if I'm wrong. Um, my grandfather did the same thing. Like my grandfather left, he, he taught me about guns at a very, very young age. And it was a, it was a certain beauty about him. And I just wonder, you know, at what point did these folks who, you know, who, who the, these big time CEOs and these firearms companies, a lot of them probably grew up with that same background, right? Respecting firearms, you, you got this older person that's teaching you all this stuff, right? When does it change? Um, when does it change now going forward, you mean? Yeah, like, you know, we, we preach all of this stuff about, you know, traditions and carrying on traditions, but we're just carrying on fear. The only, the only way it's going to change is if people like you and me and the good people that you and I both know are empowered to take the mic back from the loudest people in the room. Um, and it's not, it's, it's the reason it's so similar to our politics is because this whole gun thing created our modern politics. Yeah. And if you look at the people who are controlling, um, the political situation in our country now, it's the loud sons of bitches that won't shut up, that have the microphone and nobody will wrestle it back from them. And it's incumbent upon when it's going to change when enough people like you and I are tired of it. And we just say, Nope, sit down. We're taking the mic back. And, um, I know there, I know there are millions of us. I know there are people that are tired of being demonized. I know they're tired of the hate and thinking that gun owners are represented by these people like these January 6th assholes. I know there are, we have to stand up and say it. We have, they right now, those other people care more than we do. They're willing to stand up and they're willing to put everything they have on the line to do that. Apparently up until this moment, we're not, well, we have to be, you know, it's, it's interesting. And that goes down to, to the nuance of things, right? I'm going to give you a very good example or some example that I think, down to the the, the the smallest of details. And, uh, you know, AJ introduced me to you. And he's an incredible filmmaker, right? AJ is so particular about the representation of firearms. Literally, he won't. I noticed, you know, as a friend to him, he will not publish certain parts of films down to the point where, like, if the gun is held incorrectly mm-mm, that segment isn't going in like you have to care about those things right like it's like things like that that leaders in the industry like aj like you really inspire me for because y- y'all care down to the smallest detail mm-hmm. because you have to and and for you i feel like your book zoomed in it it, it was like this microscopic view of life at the top there drill yeah i'm here can you hear me sir yeah i got you okay i I was saying your book like what i what i appreciated about that 
is the same kind of it, it paid attention to the same kind of detail that your father cared about, right? Like it it still reflected in a very journalistic way who you are as a child. And it was this almost curiosity, right? Like it, it, there was this curiosity phase in this revelation. So I just really appreciated it because it was so damn transparent. And you got, I think it's you, incumbent on us, right? Guns are not, these are, these are not trivial things. Yeah. As much as I love my shotguns and you love your AYA and like when you pick that thing up, it can take a human life in an instant. This mm. is not something to screw around with. And so when, and I address this in the book, but when we have these sort of faux machismo patriotism crap that basically trivializes how important and deadly guns are to our society and how much responsibility is necessary for us to maintain this right, um, that's anti-gun. Those people I maintain are anti-gun. I don't care if they own 5,000 AR-15s, if they're belittling the responsibility of people like you and I, of, of what's necessary in society to maintain those rights, they're anti-gun. Not you and me, they are. Um, and, and I think that's the way AJ feels, that I care about <laughs> maintaining my gun rights and right. that of my boys. Well, and, and I it's, it's about representation. That, like anti-gun people will nitpick that. And so it's like being on the right side of things that doesn't, it's just being responsible. That doesn't make me freaking. Well, right. Well, since, since when is responsibility a bad thing? I want to know. Since when? Because apparently it's out of fashion. Well, right. And, 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 and responsibility does include, you know, image. Yep, absolutely. Walking it around. It's not responsible to walk around an airport with an AR. Like, it's just not. It, it? It, it absolutely is not, and we have to call it out. We shouldn't normalize it. It's being normalized, and we shouldn't normalize it. And the same thing is happening in our politics. It's not, it's not normal. It's well, not the other part about it, it is you that I've noticed our kids. It is normal to them. Yeah, sad. That's sad. The, you know what I'm saying, like. That's a normal part of their life. Like to have a school shooter drill. I didn't have a Dude, school shooter drill today, when I was a kid. Today, both of my boys' schools were locked down. Today, there was a shooting a mile, less than a mile from both of those schools. Um, two people died in a shooting here in Kalispell, and both of the boys' schools were locked down and they were freaked out. They were freaked out. That's not normal. I'm, that's not normal. It's not responsible. It's not something we should aspire to. Yeah. Because the other part about it is, like, I hear a lot of these hunting stories, right? Like, these old-time hunting stories, old heads. And they're like, oh, yeah, like, I used to uh, I used to go and put bring my shotgun to school and put it in my locker and go shoot quail and stuff like that, you know, during or before or after school. And it's just like, when did we move away from that? You know what I'm saying? To this radical extreme of, like, you know, it, it it's just it's very interesting. You know, when 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 these pastimes could be I even go in, you know, when I look at some of the historical, you know, documents that I read and, and I'm I'm always talking about this Charlie Young uh story 
you know, from down here, down in uh, Georgia, Thomasville, he's probably about as far, far back of a, of an African American uh, dog man as I have yep. recorded. Yep. Yep. Well, in it, he talks about coming across in that in his transcript. He talks about coming across in in the piney woods, you know, white kids or whatever, because they they had guns and, and and stuff like that. And it wasn't any even at that time, way back in the eighteen hundreds. Now. They would come across each other. There was a mutual respect. You know, white kids back then, right? Let's talk about the narrative. And it was like, hey, look, help me um, find game. Help me find some quail because black people knew how to find game because we were trappers. And I'll give you some ammunition for your gun because white kids had firearms or more ammunition. They could afford it. And so it's so funny that during even even challenged times like that, people still found a way to bond, even over hunting. It was like, look, help me, I help you. And we've even moved away from that, and that time to me was more trying and more challenging than what we're dealing with now. And well, that was that in the South. Something. Yeah, that tells you something. And that tells you, I mean, and I'm not saying like it was perfect a, down here. I'm not trying to you know, wash away. No, but I'm you know, saying there was wasn't. a transcendent experience. But it, I don't mean to be alarmist. I don't want to sound like, in fact, my book is hopeful. I think it's, it, you know, it ends, it ends very hopefully. It tells a true story, but it's hopeful. Right. Um, that does not mean that the time we are in is not very, very tenuous. It's very trying. I mean, for you to tell that story, and then understand where we are today. It's, it's very, you know, you could argue that we're in a far worse position with regards to guns and race and hate and fear today mm-hmm. than we were then. And, and that should tell you about how important fixing this is. Right. Like it's not something that we should gloss under the rug. It's not something that we should just let keep happening. If we, if we care about this, if we care about our country, if we care about our kids, if we care about our dogs, and the birds and the places we want to go, like we we have to stand up and fix this. So let me let's talk about this, man. What were some of the actions that you took when you realized that while you were in Kimber? Like, what did what what were some of those major actions that you tried to implement to turn things around? Well, I wish I could have. First, it should be said, I don't think I was perfect, and I don't think I did enough, and I don't claim to be a hero. I just tell the story of my life, but but. Um, And so I don't ever want, you know, people are right to say, well, why didn't you do more? Good question. I wish I would have. What I did try to do is stand up for the things that I really, really cared about. Mm -hmm. Um, Conservation, the environment, places where we hunt and fish. And frankly, I, I did those because I thought that I had some leeway and that I could, that I could stand up and fight for those. I fought for political races um, of people who I knew were champions of wild places. And yes, most of those people were Democrats. I didn't set out to be partisan. Um, it turned out that I was partisan and it turned out the NRA was partisan and I feel like I'm partisan now and I'm proud to be a progressive. I'm proud to support Democrats, but I didn't set out to do that. It's, you know, it's, if that wasn't my mission, um, I just set out to, to care about the things I cared about. The one thing I could never do because I knew the NRA would never tolerate because they made it very, very clear that anybody that stepped out of line overtly on gun issues would be in, in, in not in non-literal terms immediately executed. If you 
stepped out of line on guns and made a public statement that wasn't the most extreme on guns in the industry, you lost your job immediately. Um, and I tell stories about that in the book. But um, so I never did that. What I did was dance around the issues where I thought I could get away with it. And I did get away with it. I mean, barely. I was trolled. My family was, but, but I did get away with it. So I tried to do as much as I thought I could. And frankly, it wasn't enough. I don't, I don't claim that it was. Yeah. Well, and I mean, but you are, you're doing so many, you know, great things now. And it's not, I don't, it's not a making up for or anything like that. You just are continuing the work that you, you know, there has to be a starting point. You see what I'm saying? Well, I appreciate that. I, I don't, um, I think people, if they want to pick on me, they could say, why'd you stay so long? Or why didn't you do more? Or didn't you profit from guns while you were there? And how come you're so this or that? All of those are valid criticisms. I think, I think you get Darrell. I'm just trying to do what I can do. I'm just trying to tell my story. I'm what just a, trying to be honest about what I saw. And that, and that, and, and see, that's what I'm saying. Like I said, there has to be a starting point there. You know, your starting point is your story, and and yours there there hasn't been another starting point like it. Yeah, there's no other executive that's come forth and said this is my revel- uh, revelation, and that again is where it goes back. I can't tell your story as a black man working to to improve diversity and inclusion for in the outdoors. Guess what? You still got a story that I will never be able to tell. And a lot of people well, most times are like, dang, Darrell, I can't relate to you. Well, this time I can't relate to you. And that's what I loved about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not a CEO. From inside, the, in, in, from inside the business, Darrell. Like, I, I can honestly say I don't, I don't think I ever interviewed or worked with anybody in the industry at my level, even below or above, that look like you. And, and honestly, I'm sad about that. Um, so I hope that someday somebody that looks like you has stories to tell from inside the gun industry. Well, so, and that, and that is what, that's what I'm working towards, man. That's what my wife is working towards, um, with minority outdoor lines, right? Like we're trying to build something that does create pipelines like i don't want this podcast to be like a gun industry that suck like i'm not here for that man because it 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 it, you know i purchase firearms just like the next person does but you know what we want to do is create pipelines right create conversations to help fix you know to to open the narrative and, and and be right be real about the narrative and fix it but then create pipelines because a lot a, a lot of the conversation in minority communities is like, look, we we can be shown in these firearms advertisements and stuff like that, and you know whatever firearms company can can show black folks on their cover or 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 in their commercials, or you can put Killer Mike up there, right? And I know I keep saying that, and Killer Mike, please don't come after me. <laughs> like, yeah, I like a, I like his music, but um. My thing is, you can put us up as a poster child, but like the narrative and the history isn't real. You're lying, you know what I'm saying, behind the image of something that you're working so hard against. Yeah. And and you see that in your book. 
and like I'm I, I unfortunately I'm not gonna see it again. And so again, with the work that I'm doing, like I said, to get to the point. Hopefully one day when my kids grow up and your kids are good and grown, they'll be having conversations and it won't be weird to see, you know, a black or Native American or Hispanic CEO of a firearms company. Yeah, exactly. That shouldn't be abnormal. Yeah, exactly. The fact that, like, you know, I'm getting, you know, calls from, you know, older black guys that he that are even seeing my stuff in Orvis right now, and they're like, "Yo, like I've really liked it." And I've ne- I never, literally, I've had the call of, I never would have thought that I would see it in my lifetime that an African American yep. man will be on a cover. Like, and that's that is a pervasive narrative, even in the firearms industry. Like, oh yeah, absolutely, it is. it's a pervasive narrative across the board. But you know, in the firearms industry, now what I did like, there was an article published, and I cannot remember what magazine it was. But it did show it was a photographer that was actually going around documenting how African-American people actually do embrace firearms. And it was some tactical. You know what I'm saying? It was I hate the word tactical, but whatever. That's what I'm going to use right now. It was it was not, you know, fine shotguns and stuff. Um, A couple of the photos were hunting, you know, hunting shotguns. But a lot of it was rifles and some of it was ARs, AKs and stuff like that. And I thought the photography was so beautiful because it did show, you know, those of us that are not wealthy, you know what I'm saying? Probably middle of the road, if not a little bit less with firearms. And it, and it, and it was such a beautiful narrative, right? To see people that were not at the, the, the you know, minorities that were not at the top of the ring. Um, and if I can find this piece, I will send it to you. But yeah, I, love to see it. I it was it was beautiful because it it changed the narrative, and we talk so much like the firearms industry is built so much against, you know. You know, minority ownership, but it you know it I, I I've always been interested in like look, why not you know continue these traditions, in the cultures that you're working against. I'm going to be able to one day, my son and my daughter are going to grow up with an AYA and a Beretta shotgun. One of them I'm, I'm going to give to you know my son and one I'm going to give to my daughter. It's about creating a new legacy. Or maybe you'll lose one of them in a bed out here. Oh, shoot. Uh, don't lose one. Now, okay, so I like to play. Let's, let's talk now. Let's talk. Since you want to talk about losing guns, no, what kind, what no, kind of no, bet no, you no, want you, to make? No, you keep, keep going with the other one. I like to play. Look, I'm like, okay, how much how much trash you want to talk today, Ryan? Like, <laughs> look, don't get me sidetracked, man. I, I'm I'm still from Atlanta. Like, we can we can play the game now. Oh, I know, I know. I know I'm out of my league. <laughs> But no, man, I just, I believe in creating a new legacy and a new tradition. And that narrative, I I really, 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 to bring everything home, Ryan, I really appreciate the fact that you brought it from a high-level, you know, executive perspective. Nobody's done it before. I've never read it from, you know, on my end. I ain't going to say nobody's done it before. I've, I've never read it. And yeah, okay, <laughs> I just wanted to be sure. 
it was honest, it was real, but most importantly, um, you're doing the work, man. You're doing the work it takes to to speak up and and to be an advocate. Not again, not to get rid of guns, but to say, look, this is the reality. This is what's going on. And if we, you know, frankly, if we're not, if we're gonna get better, we've gotta have that conversation and these revelations. So, dude, thank you for that, man. Thank you for that book. Well, thank you for all you're doing. Um, I don't say this lightly. You're an inspiration to an awful <laughs> lot of people, including me. And um, I look forward to running dogs with you and um, sharing a sparkling beverage and, and having a good time. Well, I like I said, I will be out there um, at the absolute earliest I can next season to to take you up on this bet because you got to you you know you gonna you gonna get me sucked in the trash talking now. <laughs> so. Well, <laughs> All, all, all good bird dog challenges should involve a little bit of trash. Talk. Oh, <laughs> you, well, you, you gonna come on down here to Georgia, and a little bit of trash talking is gonna turn to a lot of bit of trash talking. So, <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I, so we gonna swap hunts then. You, come, I'm gonna come to Montana okay. first, and then you gonna come to Georgia. Okay. Um, Let's do it. You know, we gonna do it, and you got the more Britneys, but no, nah, man, I um, and also I am going to purchase two more books from you if I can to give away to uh podcast get, uh listeners. That'd be great. Let's do that. So well, um I can hook you up for sure. I really appreciate your time and your thoughtful questions and um your pioneering spirit and your love of bird dogs. So I can't think of a lot of stuff that's a lot more important than that. Well no we we are on the same page man and, and uh I just appreciate the honor of being able to support you, man. Like, I mean, you are an inspiration to me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I feel like I'm, I'm still fairly young to this thing, and I see guys like you that have, you know, been in the industry for in a, a whole career, and it's just inspiring to me to know that the world is changing, and and and, and our conscious is, is, you know raising right right like our, our consciousness is, is elevated and it's gonna be because of people like you and your story so thank you for that man well i hope so yep. keep keep doing what you're doing and um we'll meet up behind the dog soon well all right well that's another episode of the gun dog notebook podcast folks and um you know i'm gonna catch y'all next week guys i hope y'all enjoyed that episode make sure you go get yourself that book and i will make sure that i get two copies out to some listeners asap um i'll let you guys know when they hit my uh my mailbox and and uh you know i just want to say thank you before we get off to all of my sponsors onyx hunt charles jordan group you can eat a sporting dog, E.D. Smith Wealth Management, AYA Fine Guns, the Minority Outdoor Alliance, Cheyenne Kennels, and of course, at the end of the day, all of this is under the Project Upland Network Northwoods Collective Hunting Dog Confidential Magazine. Go and subscribe to them all, guys. All right, I'll see y'all next week.